Hello, welcome to The Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, hello, Bestie. You look amazing today. See what happens when you subscribe to The Ethics Experts? Every single episode, you get that bonus greeting. So hit the subscribe button. I am here with one of my favorite people I've never met. So happy to finally meet you, Sajil. Sajil, uh, Sajil Thacker, how are, how's it going? No one's ever said that I'm the favorite person they've never met me. So thank you. I feel the same way about you too. So I'm excited to be here. I mean, we've never talked in person, but I just feel like we're total kindred spirits. Uh, I love what you're doing in the world, the difference that you're trying to make. And uh, about freaking time you get on the ethics experts, huh? Uh, yes, I know. What, what's the deal, Nick? You were supposed to have me here months ago. COVID, life. Yeah. I, can't. I, I mean, I have, a, I have a bunch of excuses if you'd like to hear them. <laughs> let's, let's skip that part. Let's skip it. Okay, fine. So uh, for those people who've been living under a rock or haven't been on LinkedIn ever, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the battles that you fight and just kind of what what's your background? Yeah, sure. No. Um, yes, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so it's hard to miss me. Um, but so as you know, Nick, a huge part of my journey sort of has been about learning about how unconscious bias really affects all of us and that we all need to do something in order to recognize it and then to mitigate the harm that can result. So mm-hmm. right now, that's the area that I'm really focusing in on. The lessons I've learned along the way in my journey as an attorney, both from a professional and personal standpoint, dealing with bias, all led me to opening up my own company in November of 2017, Train Extra, where I've worked with leaders and employees facilitating different workshops and trainings, consulting with employers all over the globe on how do we create better workplaces. Unconscious Mm -hmm. bias is one area, as well as civility. And then that all led to my new position where I'm working with Nobody Studios as their chief culture officer. And I know you and I are going to talk about this for days because I know that's what you're doing. Is it compliance line? Compliance line, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm doing the same stuff that you're doing. So we're going to have to compare notes and make sure we get this right together. All right. So we're going to team up. (laughs) So I love, uh, so what got you to kind of take that plunge and start your own company and how did you know what you should focus on? Yeah. You know, I, training has always been a passion of mine. I mean, even as an attorney, I found myself a, a lot of times educating people about what they should have done or what they shouldn't have done. So I was already doing that. Uh, I also started doing a lot of training on the side. And and really, as a litigator, I was conflicted a lot because I didn't want to come in once the lawsuit had been filed or the complaint had been filed. I really wanted to be more proactive and help create better workplaces. So that was a huge reason why I started my company was because I said, there, I saw what companies were doing. You know, they were good companies trying to create better cultures, but they were spending their money, I felt, in the wrong ways, or there were gaps in what they were doing. And I really wanted to address that, at least from a training perspective, right? So I've seen it from, I've worked with companies from a legal perspective, right? I've been licensed since 2003. So for a majority of the time, I was a defense attorney. So I was a, a litigator in court representing management on harassment discrimination cases. Then I did a lot of workplace investigations. And there I saw um, companies from the nuts and bolts perspective. So I got to see what actually was happening. And then I did a lot of training and got to see what companies were doing. So all of that combined, I was like, let's fill those gaps. And that led me to creating that a program that I do a lot of right now is called Civility at Work. So that kind of, I feel like fills some of those gaps that I saw that were going on. 
Yeah, I mean, our workplaces are broken. We spend all of our time in them. All these yeah. vestigial structures from the Industrial Revolution are still infecting and overlaying atop the knowledge work economy that we're in now. And people are really hurting in our workplaces. When you were starting, talk to me a little bit about like what that process was. I mean, at some moment, your LLC was formed or whatever you, you have. Before that, some light bulb turn, turned on. Talk to me about you know, what it was like as that light bulb started to, to turn on as you're in these workplaces, helping them with various things. Yeah, it was really because I was doing a lot of the anti-harassment compliance training as an attorney, as well as when I was starting to do the uh, training on the side. And I said, this is good, but this, they're only doing this to check the box. This is the feeling that I was getting and not truly looking at how do we create better cultures or psychological safety, for example, how do we deal with bystander intervention? And so I was doing these trainings and I'm like, this isn't sufficient. We're only meeting what the law is requiring mm -hmm. us to do. Policies too, you know, a lot of organizations were drafting their policies based on legal compliance rather than really looking at how do we focus on creating better workplaces, respect in the workplace, civility, bystander intervention, empathy, you know, all of these areas were just missing. Right. Unconscious bias, huge one, you know? I mean, it's really sad that I started learning about unconscious bias and truly learning about how it works in after law school, it was literally in 2015. Right. So that means you're telling me that as an attorney, I went my whole career not understanding how unconscious bias works. I mean, I knew I had to deal with my own bias and I started working on creating strategies around that early on, but I didn't really understand the neuroscience, the part, and, and a lot of this is just new, right? Mm -hmm. It's in the last decade. And so, but here's someone that's an attorney who wasn't exposed to it. So that just tells you that we have a lot of work to do. And, and really some of these topics like bystander intervention, unconscious bias, these are things we should be starting early when, when people are when they're kids and like children. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about like this unconscious bias thing. We've been hearing about it, you know, to your point, a lot more and more uh, in the news and just kind of all, all over the place. Where do you see this sort of rooted um, in folks and how do you see that sort of cascading across organizations? Like I'm, I'd like to talk a little bit about like the consistent behaviors you see, the call those weeds that you consistently pull out of the various gardens that you go and tend to and how that ends up kind of, you know, suffocating the other flowers that are kind of in, in the garden. Well, how does that end up playing out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think when you, when you talk about bias, right, the first thing is to understand that there is conscious bias and unconscious bias, right? So that's a huge distinction. And I think a lot of people, when you even just say that word bias, they jump to the conscious bias, the racism, the sexism, the all of the isms, that the prejudice, the hate, and that's conscious bias, but there's a whole element of unconscious bias, right? So that's what's normal. That's what, because we have a brain, our brain processes all this information, mm -hmm. and that leads to us engaging in behaviors or actions towards other people without even knowing it. It's happening unconsciously. So there are two different issues for, and you know this too, is we've spent a lot of time dealing with the conscious bias situation. And that hasn't worked either. So we still have a lot of work to do there. Um, but I, I'm more focused in on the unconscious bias piece because I feel like that is truly where we are lacking. There is so much lack of awareness on this topic, education, information on how unconscious bias works, how it really impacts every decision we make. And it's really 
educating people. It's to use these opportunities as learning opportunities and helping people understand that, look, it's normal. Let's normalize this conversation, but you need to understand what your own unconscious biases are. We all have them. They're all different because they're based on our own life experience. Mm -hmm. And so we've all lived differently. It's our biases are also going to be very different. And so it's really is empowering people on so they could do their own work and understand it. And then from there, you look at it from, if you're looking at a culture perspective, we need to look at bias from both uh, individual perspective as well as the organizational perspective. Because like you said earlier, unless you've been living with your head under a rock, we all have acknowledged or we should acknowledge that our systems and processes are biased. They weren't set up for the type of diversity that we have right now. So we need to go back and look at those to say, okay, how do we mitigate bias in our hiring, in our promotion process, in our whatever processes you have? And it's not going to be something that we can do overnight. You know, it's going to be a process. You just take little steps, you figure out little things, you know, like just this morning, for example, I sent our leadership a team saying, hey, why don't we think about including in our signature blocks, uh, just a quick sentence in there to let people know that, look, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a single mom and I'm, I was homeschooling my son this past year. I respond to emails and I'm on Slack at all weird hours. Like right. it's usually one or two in the morning after he's asleep. And for whatever reason, I'm excited about something and now I'm thinking about it. So I'm, and it's fine. It, it's not that I'm overworking. It's just, that's what I'm doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I suggested, I said, let's just, in, let's just include this on every signature line for everybody that it just says, look, for I work at all different hours, but please take care of your well-being. Don't feel like, you know, you need to draw, you know, draw your own boundaries and take that's a priority. And I said, let's just put that in our signature line. So it's very clear to everybody that they don't need to feel pressure. They don't need to respond just because I'm writing something at one in the morning. So it's like little tweaks like that, that you start making can have a huge impact. Yeah. It could start to cascade across the organization because you're actually changing hearts and minds. You're not like, uh, What's the word? I mean, you're not uh, doing this by by edict, right? You're exactly. actually changing the behaviors and the way people look at the world. Um, take me with you. Let's let's do a little thought experiment. Like we're stepping into an organization and you're doing one of your trainings and you're hitting resistance. What's the resistance that that you're hitting? Because I'm sure it's kind of a spectrum, right? Like there's probably some folks who are, yeah, I get it right, right away. And they're picking up everything you're putting down. And there's probably some other folks who are kind of sitting like this. Talk to me about the resistance and how you end up kind of melting that and what what you think that's kind of rooted in. No, I, I never get any resistance, Nick. Oh, well, you're amazing. Yeah, well, well, hire Sajel, please. Okay. Yeah, right. Um, no, I get all kinds of resistance. Um, I would say the biggest one is just the, the negative connotation associated with the word bias itself. And so that's actually what led me to doing my TEDx talk, right? I was doing these trainings. And the minute I would say the word bias, people would just start disconnecting from that conversation. I noticed that people would start putting their arms up or start looking at their cell phone. And mm-hmm. I've even had people actually raise their hands and say, I don't have any bias. And I'm just like, oh, you yeah. sound biased. Yeah, <laughs> You're biased. That's called blind. You know? um, um, so, so what I started doing in my trainings is I started replacing that word bias to beliefs, mm. right? And saying, and now all of a sudden I was getting a different reaction. And I'm like, this is a huge problem because of the word itself has a negative connotation. We're seeing that a lot, even like diversity now. I'm trying to figure out a way to not use that word diversity as much because people are associating that with just representational diversity. 
and they're forgetting that it also includes all this other kind of diversity. Yeah, right. The, the cognitive diversity, our personalities are, I mean, we're all different. Right. And, but, but because this last year and a half has put such an emphasis for, for obviously obvious reasons, that now some people are feeling like that word itself has a negative association with it. And I, and I could see that perspective. So here's the thing, if we want to make change, if we want to, we have to be, we have to be sensitive that words matter and certain words are going to, you know, and so I made that tweak and I saw a significant difference in how people were getting that to that information. So I think we need, I think that's a good sign when we need to look at our vocabulary and kind of evolve as we all evolve, because here's the thing. I didn't want to leave anybody behind in my workshops. I am talking to every single person in that workshop, period. I'm not, that's why I went with it from the civility angle is that I didn't want anybody in there saying this diversity stuff doesn't apply to me or this bias stuff doesn't apply to me. I'm like, how can I create a workshop that every single person in that person, I mean, every person in that room is invested and does care about that information, right? It has to touch every person in there. And and so tweaking language, figuring out different ways is all part of the process. And you got to get, get used to feedback. Yeah. You know, and I, I get and what, 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 what kind of struck me is that you have a certain fluidity with this and you have a willingness to kind of flex and move words around to get the point that you need to get across, across. And that's really rooted in some kind of persuasion, uh, you know, a bias per, for persuasion versus beating it over the head. With, right. you know, beating people over the head with it. Where do you think that comes from? Is that rooted in just the way you go through life? Did you learn that from your litigation background? Like what is at the root of your persuasive push to change people's minds? And how does, and how have you seen that differ from other approaches that I would imagine are like less uh, successful? You know what I mean? I, I think Nick, you get this, you know, um, I, I know you're, I've, I've looked at the stuff you're out there posting and the, your videos are amazing. I love them and what you're out there doing in this world too. And, but it, I think it really comes from that feeling. I share that feeling with you as well from a very young age, feeling like you're an outsider, totally. right? You, yeah. you felt that way I did. And so when you feel like an outsider, you look at people and things from a different perspective, right? You're able to see different perspectives. And so for me, I felt like an outsider because I was dealing with a couple different things. I was dealing with the cultural thing that was going on at home, right? My parents literally moved here from India and at home it was like little India, right? And then I step out of the house and it's like America. And I'm like, I got to see both of those perspectives. And, and then I also had to take on that role of kind of explaining to my parents that this is the American culture. And then I was explaining to my American Mm -hmm. friends, this is the Indian culture. And so we've been, I've been doing that for a long time. And then also then when you add on top of that, you know, the issue of the bullying and harassment that I know you've gone through too, I went through it as well. And so that added on to that feeling like an outsider perspective, but it also opens my eyes up and I was able to, it took me a while to get there. So it wasn't like overnight, but at some point I was able to get there and see, you know, just have empathy and compassion for people to say, okay, you know, you might use this word, but I know what your intention is, Mm -hmm. but here's another way of kind of saying it. So I've been doing this for such a long time, you know, that it's like, um, I I call it cultural competence, right? But I think there needs to be a different word for that because it's really just, I don't know, I don't know the right word for it, but when you, when you felt like an outsider, you know how to explain that to somebody else. And maybe you have a better way of how you, how do you capture that, that thought from a different perspective? you're kind of a translator, right? And yeah. what I notice is that most people, I mean, we're all kind of alike, right? Like if you, you know, 
below skin surface, you can't really tell us apart. And yeah. if you talk about values, whether regardless of what country you come from or culture you come from, there's a pretty like decent overlap between the Venn, the Venn diagrams of like what people value. Maybe the prioritization is going to be different, you know, depending yeah. on one culture to the next. Um, but what I was struck with is that you were really kind of talking about being a translator for folks mm -hmm. and you could kind of stand on, on both sides of the, uh, on both banks of the river and speak kind of to, to both people. And I think in a translator's, uh, you know, to be a good translator, you know, in some languages, a term doesn't translate well. So you have to be able to That's put right. it in those correct terms so that somebody gets the essence of the thing, right? Um, exactly. So maybe that's, that's just a muscle that gets built up when somebody is straddling between these two worlds all the time and, have, and has to be able to exist in both. You know, I don't know. Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really have a better term, you know, that maybe it's a like that translator or something, but yeah. it's a, uh, like you know, it. I, you know, if I'm a Russian translator and you're not understanding me, I can't just yell at you in Russian more. That's right. <laughs> I have to figure out the right words right. to get the point across. And um, so much of that ends up getting kind of lost because people aren't exposed to diversity or their own, to your point, their own like personal experiences. Um, you know, some of the most racist people, like, uh, you know, some of the most racist people I've met, like, haven't grown up around black people or haven't grown up around yes. Hispanic people or something like that. But then, you know, you put them in the army together and they're going to battle together. And it's like, okay, well, this person has my back. This is just a person. And sometimes mm -hmm. like people just haven't had those experiences. So I think em empathy right. is a big piece of, of the puzzle. But when you're going, let's talk about it from this perspective, when you're going and uh, get, you know, when you were going and doing an engagement at an organization, where would you hit a wall and where would you feel like you, you were really bursting through? What were those conditions of success? Was it a tone from the top? Was it a general sort of sense? Was it an industry basis? Was it a personality type, you know, of the org organization that resonated more with what or, you know, where what you were saying was resonating more with them? What were those different, different kind of experiences like? I think the biggest roadblock is the psychological safety factor, okay. you know, where people just did not feel safe in expressing their own opinions or ideas or showing up as themselves, right? right? So that just was not a part of the culture. And I mean, you do, I, I know that you, you work with a lot of different organizations too. You can feel that from the yeah. minute you start doing that. And, and I know a lot of times I'll do my workshop and then people will stay afterwards and they're like, is it okay for me? You know, and I could tell that they just don't have that safety. And again, it's not the organization's fault a lot of times because that's been the way that we have been ingrained yeah. in our culture. So we're really going the other way now. And we're really saying, and not everyone's going to bring me in and that's okay because I, that's why I put everything I do out there. Cause I'm like, I may not be right for your organization, but here's the thing. If you don't focus in on creating that psychological safety where people can express their opinions, provide their feedback before it turns into illegal discrimination or harassment, mm -hmm. then we're going to have a problem. So, for example, microaggressions, right? A lot of times what I saw as an attorney was, you know, where somebody was a good person, like a manager was a good manager, had well intentions behind what they were doing, but they had these unconscious biases. So they weren't aware of them, which was resulting in microaggressions towards people. Had those microaggressions been properly addressed early on, it wouldn't have ended up as an intentional discrimination lawsuit. But right. if you allow that behavior to continue for so long, 
It's going to happen. And a lot of those times, a lot of those times, tragically, management was aware of those behaviors and allowed those behaviors to continue. Things like, I knew that was going on for so long. This is just the way this person is. Mm. All kinds of excuses, right? How is that going to create psychological safety? It's not right? Because employees look at what management is doing. And if they're allowing managers, especially, let alone anybody, get away with it, mm-hmm. we have a problem. So it becomes normal. And then we're into a toxic work environment, yeah. right? So psychological safety is something that I think organizations are scared of. They need to embrace it and say, we, we'd rather know about it and create a culture where I would normally say, don't be biased. But in this case, I would say, be biased for action. Let's create so many different avenues that, you know what, you're working on a project and somebody says something, maybe they're joking, but it struck a curve, it struck a nerve for you, it triggered you somehow, that you can turn to that person and say, hey, you know what, I just want to let you know that that's making me feel uncomfortable. Because a lot of times people just don't know, but they're, they're too scared to say something about it to the person, or they don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it, right? And this was a piece that was a huge piece that was missing from a lot of the compliance training I was doing was we weren't equipping people with right. practical skills. And, you know, you could say all day long, you can't do this or don't do this. But if you don't know what to do when you are facing that situation, that's where the problem is. Yeah. It's almost like we're saying, well, hey, here's a cake. You got to bake a cake and here's another cake. Bake this cake. And everyone's like, well, I've never baked a cake before. You need to give them right. those ingredients and tell them how to mix them together and what to set the oven at in order to get okay. that end product. Um, I found it interesting you said that like, companies are scared of psychological safety. What's that all about? Yeah, well, they're scared because they don't want to know about the problem because then they got to actually fix it. They got to do something about it, right? And so oftentimes we see that they know about it and then all they do is put a bandaid on it. They don't go deeper. So for example, you know, I did a lot of workplace investigations. So they would get a complaint from one employee to another. They would investigate that complaint. They would take appropriate action. And then they would stick that complaint in a drawer somewhere. And we never see that complaint again. And my question as an attorney, when I would get brought in, when the lawsuit happens is, well, what did you do to address this issue on a deeper issue? Is this a systemic issue? Is this happening with other people? You can't just put a bandaid on one thing and not get to the root cause, right? So a lot of times they were scared of digging deeper because of what we might find. And I'm and my approach is, no, no, no. Look at that one situation as what I, what I talk about is the tip of the iceberg. Exactly. That is the tip of the iceberg. What, you know, we see the majority of the risk is underwater, but again, it's like telling them to bake a cake without giving them the, all the ingredients or the directions or the recipe and how to do that. And that's where we're lacking, right? I am just fascinated by this like dichotomy um, that exists within us uh, in terms of like how we think about things outside of work and then how we think about things inside of work. Like the caricature I always paint is in many sort of soulless sort of toxic workplaces, you have to like pop open your head, take your brain out, take your chest, you know, <laughs> take your heart out of your chest and just keep your head down and not get in trouble. That's not a place yeah. that anybody feels inclusive, you know, included in. That's not any place where you can feel, uh, to your point, safe enough to like release and right. put your God-given gifts to work. Um, but, but again, back to your point about the tip of the iceberg, if you see a cockroach in your house, you don't kill that cockroach and say, cool, I'm done with cockroaches. You say, if there's one cockroach, there's a bunch of cockroaches and you put the traps out and you fix the actual problem. It's just so bizarre that, you know, they stamp on one cockroach, so to speak within an organization. They think the problem is gone. It's clearly not like a sustainable approach to like fixing anything. You know what I mean? 
Totally. And we got to get out of that mentality. Look, I'm at home right now. I work from home. There is no work life, you know? And and the thing is a lot of times, and this is the other thing is when we talk about like the fear of psychological safety is we need to equip people to pay attention to certain red flags, right? So if you notice that a coworker is hitting the bottle hard or all of a sudden it's impacting their productivity or they're in a domestic violence situation and they're confiding in you and you're sitting there thinking, well, this is none of my business. This is your personal life wrong that is not the right approach correct we want people to you know we spend a lot of time together like you said at the beginning that i can you know somebody can look at sejal and say you know what i i work with sejal 10 hours a day i'm not a doctor i'm not a psychologist i'm not a threat assessment person but i spend enough time with her to be able to know kind of this is her normal reaction time this is her normal state she'll walk into work she'll say hi to everybody she'll say do you want to get some coffee you want to grab some happy hour lunch i mean i'm a very social person But now if all of a sudden you see I'm coming to work and my hygiene is deteriorating, I go straight to my office, I don't talk to anybody, I shut the door, I put my headset on and I'm totally different. You know, we all have bad days. So we're not looking at snapshots, but now you notice, man, it's been two months and she's still doing this. Something is not right with Sejal, right? Somebody needs to do something about that. And we need to equip people on what do we do? The problem is a lot of times organizations create these reporting structures that are harmful, where people feel like, well, if I, if I, if I say something about Sejal, she's going to get in trouble. She's going to get fired. And that's not the intention. That person just truly cares about me. And they're saying, I'm concerned. I want to make sure that she's supported. So we need to look at how we report these things to say, we want to create an, a non-threatening way of reporting to say, as an organization, we just want to reach out to Sejal and see if she's okay. Maybe she needs some support. Maybe she needs some time off. Maybe she needs a break, like whatever it is. But as an organization, we need to empower all the employees to say, hey, let us know. Or or maybe reach out to Sejal and to say, hey, Sejal, is there anything I can do to support you? I noticed, you know, is there anything you want to talk about? But encourage that type of approach where we're taking care of each other rather than I'm going to throw it over the fence to, you know, Nick, our chief servant officer and let him deal with it. No, everybody's got to deal with it. And it doesn't matter if it's something that's happening at work or not at work, but it's if it's happening to her, period, it's going to impact our work environment. It's going to impact my productivity, my morale, you know, everything and my stress levels, which is then going to impact all these other things as well. Right. Yeah. It's all connected. And it's almost like one of the most, um, like toxic terms that have ever been invented is this term of work-life balance because it implies Mm, a separation and you are giving in your example saying, Oh, well, that's your personal life. Well, that's, that just implies that there's this kind of wall between, you know, that, you know, that version of you and this sort of professional version of you to your point, it's one life. And, we're not machines and nope. uh, you know i get it in a manufacturing setting if your machine was one day feeling great and one day it was feeling bad and it was sort of mer- mercurial that that wouldn't be that great of a machine but also a machine is like set up to do one thing a person can do so many different things and a person can have so many intangible positive benefits on an organization and taking that longer term view and giving people space to breathe and to live and be themselves allows for a lot of magic to release if to your point uh, they can feel psychologically safe and not feel like they have to hide a portion of their self away yeah. or hide a difficulty that they're going through. Why, when do you think this is going to break in terms of these old structures that are imposing uh, themselves over our, our workspaces? When do you think those are going to start to melt or when are they going to get shattered so that this new way can really take hold and be kind of more pervasive or more normal across you know, companies? 
I have no, I have no clue. I mean, I, I really don't know the answer to that question. It's, it's just all I know is that we have to keep moving in that direction. Yeah. And all I know is that um, organizations that are aware of the fact that diversity differences of people are here in order to survive as an organization, if you don't realize that there's benefits to having diversity in your organization, you're not going to survive. Right. Also, the other thing I can tell you is that people's tolerance levels for what they're going to put up with have completely changed in this last year and a half. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. We had issues before, obviously. But this last year and a half with the civil unrest, with the racism stuff that's been going on, the Asian hate, the pandemic, the remote. I mean, there's so many reasons why incivility at work has increased, including the bias that's come out because of everything that's gone on, that good talent is not going to put up with that anymore as they did before. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that happen, right? Aren't they calling it like the great resignation now? You're yeah. seeing all these employees. There's just, and we're not limited geographically. Exactly. Like, it's pretty funny that I got I got hired as a chief culture officer at Nobody Studios, and I never even met the leadership team, right? But so we're in a different, we're in a different place. People are not going to say, I'm going to put up with toxic work environments because I've got no other choice. You've got other choices. Right. You know, and so 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 I don't know the answer to that question, Nick. All I do know is that I'm very optimistic. I'm seeing a lot of organizations put their money where their mouth is. You know, they're walking the talk. They're doing the work and it is ongoing work. It is hard yeah. work. It's ongoing work. And the good news is I can tell you because I've been in this area dealing with employers since about 2003 that people are changing. We're seeing more people being open, willing to change, doing the work, you know, resources are available. And if they're not available, people are speaking up about that, which is what we need. And we have the internet, right? This is something too, is mm -hmm. we, we haven't seen so many people on social media using internet for both bad and good. I wish we could eliminate some of the bad and replace it with more of the good stuff like you and I are trying to do, create positive, uplifting, better places. I wish more people would use our this wonderful resource that we have for positive reasons totally. and we can shut out all that negativity BS that's going on, you know? And you know, what's crazy. I mean, it seems like these companies that what I, you know, these leaders, let's just, let's just blame the leadership. Um, the leadership that is so, you know, myopically focused on dollars seem to be losing out on a ton of potential by releasing magic from their workforce. If they can just fix a little bit of, of what we're talking yeah. about, a little bit more inclusive, a little bit more psychological safety, a little bit of a longer term view of someone, a little bit more focus on work-life harmony versus work-life balance or whatever that, you know, that uh, fallacy is. And what's interesting is that when you do that, they end up getting the results that they're myopically focused on, right? Like yeah. you, you end up getting more discretionary effort from a workforce. You have a lower turnover. You have higher employee retention. All these things drop directly to the bottom line, but we've just grown accustomed to, hey, 15% is going to yeah. turn over every year. You know, employee engagement is going to just kind of hover around 70%. You know, those are all uh, dead. You know, those are all examples of dead weight loss in our businesses that are tied down to how people feel. So we can make little tweaks and have really uh, tremendous impacts on our organization. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like it's just going to be a changing of the guard? The strong force is going to be when people in our, you know, in our generation ascend to positions of power, that's really what's going to change it or, or, and, or how do you find, uh, or what's kind of successful ways have you found to get those people, you know, those sort of uh, people who think about it the other way, so to speak, 
um, get them to turn those light bulbs on? What kind of mechanisms do you have or what kind of persuasion paths do you see actually working? Yeah, I mean, again, I like, you know what I'm out there doing. I look for every opportunity to continue talking about these topics. I mean, like last year when COVID happened, you know, I lost my business overnight. I was like, what am I going to do? But yeah. I've got to worry. You know, so I just started doing all these podcasts as a way to kind of get my, so you have to be creative about how we get our message out there and, and what's the result we want from an organizational standpoint. Look, at the end of the day, we know it all starts and ends with leadership. If your leadership isn't brought in, doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. Right. So the first step is really to get the leadership buy-in and, you know, I, I feel for HR. Because I feel like they're always sort of carrying that torch, uh, yeah. you know, you know, and it's a hard job. And but I'm sorry to say this to all HR people, you've got to do it. You've got to make the case. You've got to find a creative way, whatever way it is, to get the leadership buy-in and keep pushing against it, you know. And even if you don't get it the first time, figure out a different way to get it up there again and keep doing it. And and and, and the, here's the thing: is you're actually doing your organization a favor. Correct. By continuing to push on that. And if, if, it, if you find, you know, and this is what I told my, a friend of mine who was in HR at, at a company. And I said, you at some point need to decide whether this is the organization you want to work at. Cause she was so frustrated. Cause she's like, Sejal, I bring these up, these ideas up all the time on diversity and inclusion. And it just kind of gets put on the bottom of the list every single time. And she's like, I, I feel like I'm just going up against the wall. And I said, it's probably not the right place for you. You know, you, you got to make that very clear. I mean, I had the same conversation with our CEO, you know, when he was kind of asking me to be their chief culture officer, I'm out there intensely advocating for this stuff. Like, I'm not just saying every once in a while, every day I'm hammering diversity, inclusion, and civility. So I said to him, I go, you know what I'm out there doing. So I'm going to be doing this inside, just like I'm doing it outside. If right. you bring me in, are you sure you want to bring me in? Because I am not going to change what I'm doing. And he's like, no, that's exactly why I want to bring you in because these things are important and we need to make sure we do this right. And I'm like, all right, but it's not, it's not going to be the case. And sometimes, you know what, you've got to walk. If, if, if you're feeling that your organization isn't lining up with your core values or what you're doing, this applies not to just HR, but anybody walk, right. find a place where you can be you, where you feel fulfilled. You have those options now. And I'm a true proponent of do not stay in an environment that you're not happy. Seriously. You know, it's interesting you said that we have those options now. You're absolutely right. We have more labor mobility now. There are way more organizations that are uh, that kind of think that way. And yeah. we have to vote with our feet at some level. And, you know, okay. what's kind of sad, I mean, you're obviously a very passionate person. You're obviously kind of, you're kind of walking down your purpose path. You can, mm -hmm. you can always tell when someone is on yeah. that correct path, there's a, there's a, a fire in them. There's a, you know, there, there's an energy to them that really can't be faked. It's mm -hmm. you, it, you can tell when it's, when it, it's artificial. And what's, what's really sad, I think, is that there have been people that have lived and died and walked and gone through their entire careers without ever feeling that feeling like, man, my purpose is really, you know, That's there's funny. a deep overlap between my purpose and the work I'm doing for my, my company and my company's mission that exists. And when you, you know, try swimming in that pool, that's a much nicer pool to swim in than, you know, trying to swim upstream in an organization whose values truly at their core, you know, look, everybody has a nice website. Everyone has, has right. nice values on the wall. What's actually being lived out in the organization. If that's not okay. resonant with you, you got to move on. Great point. 
Yeah. Or, or do something about it. Right. I mean, it's, we, we can all push a little bit. We can all try sure, a little right. bit, um, you know, but I, and the other thing is too, is the other thing is that we, a lot of people are reinventing themselves. Mm-hmm. So we, when we were feeling kind of boxed in to, you know, I've been there as an attorney, I knew early on that I, I don't want to be a litigator. This sucks. Like yeah. I'm not working around the clock. It just didn't match up with my personality. I'm more mm-hmm. of a conflict resolution person. I'm more pro. You know, so I knew that, but I did it because it's the way I was supposed to be, right? right? Oh, you became an attorney. This is like your path. People like are, forget that. Like now people are saying, actually, no, I'm going to reinvent myself. You know, if I want to do this, I'm going to do this. If I want to do, and there's all kinds of resources available. You can take mm-hmm. all kinds of training, all kinds of courses. People are saying, we're not going to look at the resume. We're looking at skills. Here are some of the skills and what we need. Experience is not even being that important anymore. Right. I mean, I've never led. I've never led a company and developed their culture strategy before ever. But, right. So what? I've been, I've been talking right. about it. I've been training on it. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to nail it. I'm going to try my best. Right. I'm confident in what I'm going to do and how I want to do it. And I'm supported by a whole team of people. And I don't know all the answers. I do not know all the answers, but I'm going to do my best to figure it out. And I'm going to get feedback. I'm going to, I'm going to run everything I do. Like as far as develop, I'm like putting it out to the leadership team. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Give me your feedback. If it sucks, let me know. If you think it's good, let me know. And then we can tweak it and figure it out. But that's the thing is like, you know, just for example, when I read your title, chief servant officer, captain culture, right? You are putting it out there that this is what I'm about. Anybody right. that sees that, that brings you into their organization is going to know that you are so passionate about these topics, right? You bring someone like that in and you try to change them, what's going to happen? It's going to break. If you yeah. their passion, they're going to last maybe exactly. two months, three months, and then you're going to lose good talent. Some of these organizations have had people on their payroll for 20 years who don't match up with the values of their organizations. That's why all these people are now leaving and we have this whole work from home or gig economy because people are like, I'd rather work two hours a week or two hours a day versus eight hours and take a pay cut and actually be doing what I'm passionate about, right? Versus what you want me to do, right? So Yeah, and um, those people are, to your point, the quickest ones to leave. And they're probably the ones that have the most options and they're the, you know, and I was struck by something you were saying, like you haven't done what you're doing before. And I'd I want to get into that, that story and what that decision path was like for you. But, you know, I think outlook ends up driving the outcome. There's outputs in the middle and those outputs, you're going to try, you're going to try different things and you're going to experiment with things and you, but the way you see the world, it, that's really what's going to drive the outcomes and, you know, good on this, on this leader. Uh, who you've partnered up with for this role to see that, hey, irrespective of whether she's done this before or not, she has the right heart and she has the right brain and she has the right drive and we're going to figure it out. How did that happen? Tell, tell me about, at, you know, at one point you didn't have the job, now you have it. What was that path like? How, um, what concerns did you have before you took that plunge and how have those concerns been allayed and what kind of things did you see once you transitioned that made you feel like, okay, I'm at home, this is, this is where I need to be? Yeah. So, you know, I, Mark McNally is our CEO. We are, we were, we had mutual connections on LinkedIn 
Um, so he saw some of the work that I was out there. I was advocating for it. Um, he knows I'm really passionate about workplace culture. So initially he approached me as being a co-founder on one of the companies he was building called Wellbridge. It's just an internal name that we're using right now. But it's a, it's a company that deals with crisis intervention. So an employee has a crisis at work. How do we support that employee? How do we support the employer? So trying to solve that problem, because obviously there's huge gaps in how that's dealt with right now. And so, so he's like, and one of the things he said is like, you truly care about this area, you know? And so that's kind of what started our conversation. So I joined Nobody Studios in January as a co-founder for that company, and I'm still working on that. And then sometime in March, April, we started the conversation of, you know, he asked me if I would join the leadership team as their chief culture officer. And, he, and again, he was watching what I was doing out there. And he's like, civility, diversity, inclusion, psychological safety, belonging, all of these are areas that I want to make sure we do it right, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think this says a lot about him and the leadership team for bringing me in because we, you know this, I mean, most startups at this early stage, we're really young. They're not, they're not really looking at the culture. They're all about innovation and how do we get the best idea out there and how do we build this company? Not really looking at culture, especially when you're working remotely. Yeah, culture right. takes the back seat, right? If at all, it's on the, you know, and so, so it says a lot about him for bringing me in early on, um, and but also the fact that he wants to ingrain this right from the beginning into what we're doing, right? So, so tremendous yeah, tremendous so foresight, tremendous foresight he has. Agreed, and he's 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 very successful. He's had like fourteen startups. He's got this amazing background. So I'm truly humbled that he saw me as fit for this role because amazing. I know it's a huge value. I mean, one of our core values is people first, right? So I know that he's putting he's putting it out there and putting me in charge of this role. So I don't take it lightly, and I'm gonna like you know do whatever I can to make sure that we do this as good as we can. And again, it's not going to be perfect. You know, yeah, there, right. there's no, there's no solution. We're going to just try different things. Um, but one of the, one of the other reasons why I really enjoy this journey is, is that it allows me to scale my work. Right. So I'm, I'm already out there talking about this stuff. I've been working with organizations for a long time on developing their policies, their processes, their training investigations. So I've touched a lot of these pieces so now to be able to work with from the yeah. ground up and helping to create the strategy that touches all of these different pieces, it does bring a different lens to the table. And, you know, he's he's built these companies before. He knows how to create high performing teams. So I think together we're really going to be able to create something that matches up with kind of what his, his vision is and brings into what my passion and my fire is and bring that together. Right. So, I mean, what an exciting uh, opportunity and also kind of what a, what a scary opportunity in a way, like you're kind of brought in to drive a bunch of change in a remote setting, talking to people only over zoom. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to kind of dive into that. Like, what was that? Like, what was your first week? Like, what, how did you prioritize? Like what initiatives you were going to start pushing? Like, how did you identify you know, which of these different arrows that you kind of mentioned in your quiver needed to be fired first? And then how did you start to kind of drive that change? Of course, it's an ongoing thing, but just kicking it off sometimes seems like so overwhelming. Nobody gets moving on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say like one of the things now, there's so many reasons why I love working with nobody studios and I'm all, I'm doing it part-time right now. Right. So I've got, I'm still doing my train X for stuff. So I'm, I'm putting in about a couple of days a week there right now. Um, but what I, one of the things I really love working about there, we have an amazing leadership team, like literally every single person on that team 
cares 100% about culture. Like there's no question about it, right? And so for me, I got to vet them just like they were vetting me for those first couple of months that I was on as a co-founder is I started attending some of these meetings and building these relationships and really making sure, wait a second, are these people really aligned? Do they really care about the culture or is this, I've seen it so many times where are we just saying something and then we're not gonna really do it, right? Right. So that was gonna be a deal breaker for me. So the leadership team, even though I'm in this role, I'm not doing this alone. We are all invested into this role. They're all supportive. You know, like I said, I, we have a Slack channel where culture initiatives and I just throw it out there and here's what I'm thinking about, you know, and give me your feedback. And so, so we have a very supportive environment for that goes, but yeah, it was weird. You know, it was odd coming in and you haven't met anybody. We, we actually just had our leadership retreat three, three and a half weeks ago, where I finally got to meet everybody in person. And it was amazing. We, I mean, it really did. It's so different when you meet people in person. Like, even if you talk to these people every day, being in person just really connected us. Right. So it really, it brought us together even more having that connection. Um, And so, but yeah, it's just a different world that we're in now, you know, and, and in fact, everybody else that we're bringing in, we're not doing in-person interviews. Everybody's getting interviewed on Zoom right now. People are working all over different time zones. This is just how it's going to be, right? So one of the things I would love to meet with you offline too, is one of the first things I'm working on is our onboarding program. And especially because it's virtual and trying to figure out how are we going to make people that are different cultures, different religions, different time zones, different everything feel welcome. Totally on their first day. Um, but yeah, so as far as priorities goes, you know, this is the uh, uh, what I love about Mark and I work a lot with our chief of staff. They're really, really good about prioritizing, you know, really kind of, let's have you, here are the, you know, we have 20 things that we need to work on this, by the end of this year, here are some of the priorities. And then really kind of leaving it to me to figure out sort of what I'm gonna work on when and really kind of taking a hands-on approach, but also being very available to say, you know, Every week we have check-in meetings where we're meeting with them. Every I, I met with our leaders, you know, Mark and Tiffany this morning. We meet, we check in, we have a Slack channel. So we communicate constantly, but really how I get to the end point is really up to me and, and, and kind of figuring out the strategy. But again, everybody's available. And, you know, now with the internet, like we could do all kinds of research and totally. figure a lot of stuff out. And again, it's it's I love what Mark always says to me. He's like, look, I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to give me something that you're going to be like, hundred percent comfortable with get to 70 percent and then bring it over and let's talk about it and let's figure it out but don't bring me like 30 percent where now i have to do the other 70 totally. like bring me 70 or 80 percent that you feel like this you put a good effort in and then we'll get we'll polish the rest of it up right so so a lot of just asking asking i have no problem asking what should i be working on right now or what's priority just tell me what you need me done and i'll do it right and so as you stepped in what what was the biggest kind of immediate opportunity that you saw Really, right off the bat, you know, it was about, you know, they had been working on an excellent set of core values. And here's kind of what we believe in. And, and my, my right away was, okay, we need to break this down. So you know what those mean, but let's break it down. Make sure that we communicate to everybody what these behaviors look like that align with these core values. So one of the first things I'm working on is putting together kind of like a, a culture manifesto is what I'm calling it, right? So aligning those core values, because like you said, we could have the best core values on the planet, but nobody knows what those means. They're meaningless. Yeah. Right? So Correct. I want it to be very clear to people coming in, this is the kind of behaviors that we expect. This is the kind of culture that we're striving for, right? And it's not going to be for everybody. And that's okay too, right? It's not going to be, 
speed is one of our things in our culture. Like we're, we operate, you know, we, we say we operate at the speed of trust, right? We're wanting, he wants to do like a hundred companies in the next five years. So we're going to be moving pretty quickly. That's not for everybody. Yeah. Right. right? Like I thrive on speed. So for me, that's exciting. I'm like, let's go, you know, um, but somebody else is like, no, that's not my thing. And I'm not into that. Totally cool. Right. But you need to know, you need to know what that means. What does that mean exactly? And what is expected of you and what you can expect in return. So that's kind of where I've been spending a bulk of my time since joining is working on that. And um, like I said, also the onboarding program is a huge priority for me um, because we're going to be hiring a lot of people pretty quickly. And so making sure that we are consistent, that we are making sure that we're mitigating bias in our hiring totally. process. So there's some areas that are definitely more priority than others. But as you know about culture, there's just so much that touches on it. And, you know, it's easy to get caught into the weeds. And I've done that where I'm just like, there's this one, little, you know, and I'm like, okay, you got to focus. Where's the big picture here, Sage? I'll focus, it's a step back. Let's look at the big picture. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so sometimes things, small tweaks are going to be what's going to work. And sometimes you got to really hammer down. But those are some of the things I'm working on right now. Um, and another one I'll throw out there is talent development. You know, it, it's a lot of the way I look at it is every person that comes into the studio is a leader. And so how do we develop our leaders? And so really looking at I've had some conversations with different platforms, different experts in the field to kind of figure out what's going to kind of work with our strategy. I love it. Um, we talk about culture being the only sustainable competitive advantage in business. Somebody can replicate yes. your software, but they can't replicate your heart. They can't re right. replicate the discretionary effort or the push toward the organizational purpose in one company or, or the next. And to your point, like, you know, starting your culture project is not like flipping a light switch. And it's like, all right, our culture's fixed. That's an ongoing bonfire. You have to keep feeding. And as more people surround it, you have to make that thing grow. And it takes, you know, it takes literally everybody uh, yeah. to be owning that culture, you know, everybody needs to be a chief culture officer. I love the title. I love, uh, I mean, it's got to feel like your home. It's got to feel like, man, this is, wow. I can stretch out and really like put these totally. gifts to work, you know? Absolutely. I mean, one of the first things, one of the first things I did, Nick, is I created an onboarding um, feedback survey. Cause I'm awesome. like, okay, I'm putting this program together, but I need to hear from all of you. Like, is this working for you or is this not working for you? Because this is what I think should yeah. work, but I need to hear from the people. And as you bring in more people, again, constantly getting that feedback and then fix and getting better and better at what we're doing, right? But so again, not for everybody. Some people are like, this is my my onboarding plan and this is what I want. And I don't want to change it. Well, that's right. not going to work. That doesn't work. You know, you've got to be evolving and, and say, I don't know all the answers. Like we got to figure this out together, right? right? Something we've had a lot of success with um, in terms, you know, we've been growing a lot, hiring folks, and we just, the risk always exists for the culture to get diluted as you grow. It's always yeah. going to change. The fire is always moving. It's, it, it's combustion. It's, it in itself is a reaction. Um, but what we've gotten a little bit of success with is starting with a day zero. So the first day somebody shows up, instead of filling out all their forms, we're spending the day together talking about our values, our background, your background. How do you look at the world? How do we prioritize things? What do these values actually mean? What's our story? What's our angle in the marketplace? How do your, your efforts translate into this broader goal that we're all pushing toward? And what it's done, I think, is it's knocked down some walls. It's you know, kept a bit, uh, a bit more cohesion and a, a bit more consistency 
around like at least the articulation of what these values are and to your point like what the associated behaviors should look like because accountability or tenacity or servanthood can mean different things in different contexts you know what i'm saying so um it'd be interesting to see so we haven't had to do that remote no i guess we have done it remote it's a little bit of a different vibe um but you you could probably do it remote and you know you can still have those those connections. And at the end of the day, like if you're people first, that means you're putting people first. Okay. That means people over profits. That means people over whatever else and making that connection. And it's just, it's so magical when somebody feels like, Hey, I can be myself at work for once, you know? That's right. right. And I think, I think it's even more important to what you're saying when you're in virtual, you have to work harder Mm -hmm. to build that trust because you don't have that in-person connection that you have to in human interaction. I mean, you know, I I said this to somebody the other day and I was like, I hope I don't offend you when I say this, like, I love your platform. It does not replace human interaction. Like having your supervisor reach out to you on whatever you want to call it day zero or day one, Mm -hmm. but reach out to you one-on-one to say, welcome to our team. We're really looking forward to working with you. I'm here. If you need that, no platform can do. I right. don't care how great your platform is. You can't replace human interaction. And, and I remember like at one of the, one of the first meetings at Nobody Studio, somebody said like, well, we're a startup. And, and I was kind of suggesting having this ongoing leadership meeting. And somebody said, oh, well, we're a startup. You know, we're really, and I go, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to make time for culture. So back to the original question, when are we going to have a monthly leadership meeting? Because if you're telling me you don't have time to get to know each other, then we got a problem. We need to get to know each other. We're the leadership team. If right. we don't get solid and we don't get to know each other, nothing else is going to work. Totally. So let's look at our calendars and schedule. Yeah, like, let's make it happen. But I'm know. already challenging, challenging them. And I'm like, you knew what you were getting into when you brought me in here. Yeah, you right? asked but, for this. Hey. You asked for the full sagel. Um, <laughs> as we uh, as we wrap up, I'd like two pieces of advice from you. One is if you could give one piece of advice that every CEO every board of directors in the com- in the whole country could hear what would that piece of advice be and what if you can go back in time and young sagel whether it's you growing up bouncing around chicago or it's you just coming out of law school what piece of advice do you wish you you know what would you want to give to yourself okay so to myself the piece of advice i would give young sagel is don't be so rigid in your plans, right? Like I followed the traditional go to law school, be a litigator. And I hated it. You know, I mean, so I would tell myself, like, allow yourself the opportunity to kind of go with where your passion or your heart leads you. And don't be so tied to the plan of what's expected of you versus just being you and letting that sort of unfold. I learned that lesson at like 40, Okay, so up until 40, I think I was very rigid. I mean, I still, you know, I mean, I think I was very much following this plan that was whoever came up with for me. Um, I had 40 and um, that plan went out the door and I'm like, this is my plan now, <laughs> right? We're doing it my way for yeah. the rest of my life. Super so that free, would be like, yeah. So liberating, so liberating when you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna bother to fit in anymore. I'm just gonna be me and people like me, they like me. And if they don't, it's cool yeah. too. Right? I've been like, an outsider I'm, my whole life. Might as well finally uh, embrace it. Yes, right? I'm like, <laughs> and, and you know, it's like a whole different universe once you do totally. that. Once you take that step and you step into your own self in your own zone it's like everything comes to you yeah it's wild and that's why i love your videos because you're like this is nick like i don't need to i don't need to have a conversation with you to know you because i watch your videos and i'm like that's my kind of person right there that's my peeps right (laughs) you're speaking my language and and it's it's crazy how the universe starts 
Mark came to me. I didn't mm-hmm. apply for that position. I wasn't even looking. I was very happy with my, my, my company's actually taking off. So I was like, this is great. I can train three days a week and call it a day, right? Awesome. He came to me. So this is like perfect signs of how the universe brings you those opportunities, right? So that's my own, for leaders all over the place. Again, I think for leaders, I would say, um, You probably have five things you want to say. I've got so many things. <laughs> I'm trying to pick which one I want to leave here with is, okay, I would tell the leadership teams to really, really empower their employees on unconscious bias. That would be my advice. And, and I think the more you empower people, because people are running your processes, they're the ones that are making yeah. these decisions, the more you empower. And it's not just to say, because I got to put this out there. I'm seeing a lot of people saying, you know, throwing a lot of dirt at unconscious bias trainings and how they don't work and how, first of all, nobody is saying one unconscious bias training is going to solve the world's problems, right? If somebody's saying that they're probably tripping and they need help, right? But most people, when we're doing this work, it's because it does work. It works in the sense of it's opening perspectives. It's opening people to different ways of looking at themselves. So my, my trip would be for every organization to empower people with this knowledge and let them know that they have to do the work on their own and give them the space to be able to do that work. That is going to solve so much and create better cultures just on its own. When you start realizing, when you start doing this work, you start to see that, wow, this is my limited view. I'm walking around with blinders on and now I open it up and I'm like, whoa, so you felt like an outsider, Nick, and your reasons for why you felt that way are different than mine. Mm-hmm. But wow, now we can share this pain together and that's going to connect us. Totally. And so we start to see how how interconnected, that's my favorite word now this year, interconnected is my word of the year. <laughs> I love that because it's just so powerful. So that it would is. be my advice. I love that advice. And, um, you know, it's funny when people say, well, that training didn't work. It's like saying, well, that cycling class didn't work. I didn't like, lose a pound. It's like, well, you have to change your lifestyle. You have to get healthy. You have to go to a lot of these classes, you know, uh, but, but, it, but it's, it's only ever going to happen from like, to your point, a commitment to that end goal or this, or this vision or this, uh, yeah, this vision of this new state of the world. So, yeah. uh, Sejal, I, uh, love your heart. I love your work. Thank, Thank you so much for coming on the ethics experts today. Where can people find you? Where, where can they learn more about, uh, your companies and your work and things like that? LinkedIn is the best place to find me. That's the only social media platform that I'm on. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm constantly putting out articles and information that is helpful on everything we've talked about. Um, My own website, trainextra.com is T-R-A-I-N-X-T-R-A. If you want to know what kind of workshops I offer and nobody's studios, follow us there because we're doing a lot of great fun, exciting things. We've got some cool announcements that are going to be coming out soon. So follow Nobody Studios. We're on LinkedIn as well. And don't hesitate to reach out to me. Look, I am seriously, and Nick, I know you're like this way too, is I love sharing information on this. If I can introduce you to somebody to help you with something that your organization is dealing with, I'm, I love to use my connections and help in that way. So don't hesitate to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all you, you do. I'm honored to be fighting alongside you uh, every day. Everybody, until next time.